This episode is dedicated to the legacy of legendary drummer of Cream, Ginger Baker. Are you those kind of people I read this weird thing? It was actually on a Sonic Youth record. It was like people that could only get excited sexually if they were dressed up as stuffed animals. Is that you? I knew that I would never meet anyone like that until we came to New Orleans. I just knew it. Okay, I'm in room 518 over at the Hudson Arms or whatever the fuck that is. Um, and I'll, I'll bring my teddy bear. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. Welcome to Live on Four Legs Podcast, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and we're back. Well, I'm back, technically. That was a recording what you heard last week of me doing all of that, uh, you know, that clip show garbage that we decided to throw on you. Every now and again, we got to do it. We got to take a little break, and I think having a wedding was a good excuse to throw that in. So, uh we're back. We're back with a full episode this week. Randy Sobel here. John Ferrar over there. Hello, Hello John. Welcome back, man. Your Good to have are... you back. Thanks. Yeah, I, I fully enjoyed uh, you and and Buckley taking the reins while I was out, and I think you guys made for a really good battery. And can't wait to hear what you guys got in store next time you guys team up. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, and uh, just to be clear, they're they're our Braves. They're not they're not my Braves. They're our Braves. Uh, well, according to your your fabricated Facebook <laughs> post, hey, there there hey, are Braves, but you they, willingly they you willingly my... put on the hat, so don't don't come crying to me. Well, didn't your son your son kind of you know, Lucas looked at me, he gave me that look like you know you got to put the hat on. You're in my house, buddy. Hey, he's it a, wasn't he's a, for you. He's a cute kid. Don't uh, and your daughter too. I, it was it was two <laughs> against one. I, I you know I couldn't go go against that, but. No, there there is no Braves fandom here, especially in that series, which <laughs> at this point it could be an irrelevant point because by the time that this uh, show comes out, they could be eliminated from the playoffs. We'll they could have advanced. Who the hell knows? We'll see. In Ellie's chance, we'll back-to-back. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. He had 14 years <laughs> of all that good good karma. No, yeah, it's good to have you back. I uh, tried to uh, hold it down while you were gone. Did a good uh, job. Did some did some singing a little bit. Uh, I heard that. It's definitely it's it's definitely good to have you back. Well, you know what? Um, if I bring the singing back this week, then uh, we'll see if I can match match you shot for shot. But uh, you need uh, okay. to come up with 
a signature to kind of combat with, you know, we can do a little, I don't know, the voice or, you know, American Idol, Pearl Jam style somehow well, at the let's end of the show. Let's let's <laughs> I think that's pretty dangerous. That. <laughs> um, before we get into our guest this week, I just want to remind you all that our Patreon account is up and running as always, patreon.com slash live on four legs. And uh, we have some great things that are up there right now, including evolution episodes for the songs Leash and Alive. Uh, there should also, in the next couple weeks, I think you should be expecting another evolution episode for State of Love and Trust coming pretty soon. So if you want to support the podcast head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs you know you give anything you want into the podcast that is up to your discretion and for us we give back to you we let you come on the show and and john what do they do if they come on the show they get to uh talk about a show that they want to talk about come on and uh get to come on the show and i will threaten to fight you that 100 percent John is going to threaten to fight you because, well, if, if you look, if you come on the show and say that Mike McCready is an overrated guitarist, you have it coming for you. <laughs> no offense, Tom Quay, uh, Tom Quay of the uh, or, or if you come into my house and say that Crop Duster is in your bottom 20 of songs. Uh, well, that's not as bad. I will threaten to kick you out of my house, as as you learned last week. That's not as um, bad. No, but, you know, our, our Patreon, it's. You know, there aren't a lot of shows where you get access to literally everything for $1 a month, and that's what we're doing. You get access to all the extra episodes. Uh, we, we've done bonus giveaways. We're going to do more stuff in the future. I don't know if we want to tease our plan for next year, but there there might be a, a an ongoing Patreon series in 2020 that you're going to want to get in on. So now's a great time to jump on that if you've been thinking about it and you haven't yet. Um, $1 a month gives you access to everything that we're doing over there. Yeah, it's a future investment, especially, you know, come January, we're going to have some really good episodes. Think, uh, I, I won't spoil it yet, but think the MSG series that we did this year and think of a, a maybe a venue or maybe a certain type of show that is ongoing uh, throughout the years that, uh, you know, that we can touch up on and, and there's going to be a lot of content. So keep that in mind. And those are going to be must, uh, must listen shows and they're only going to be available via Patreon. So again, you know, head on over there and, uh, you know, from, from there, let's, uh, let's get into our guest for today. Uh, he's part of the anti quiet, uh, podcast and we kind of both, uh, found out about him. John, you, you searched, you searched Pearl Jam, in Apple Podcast frequently just to see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, you know, every once in a while to see if see if something pops up and and his show came up and it looked really interesting interesting. So I uh, gave it a listen, sent it over to you and, and I, I thought it was fantastic. You know, his his passion for the band and the music really, really came through in that thing and it really touched a nerve with me. Um, so we uh, we reached out to him and uh, glad to have him with us today. Yep. Uh, let me introduce everybody to the show. Uh, this is Johnny Firecloud from the Antiquite Podcast. Johnny, how's it going? I, I thank you for uh, joining the show. Yeah, thank Hello. you. Hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's quite an yeah, intro. It's, it's an honor. Thank you. Well, you do good things for the Pearl Jam community. We give a little bit back. That's uh, the kind of give and take that uh, comes with with the live on four legs. And and today uh, we 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 add you as uh, our two extra, which we're happy to do. So it's an honor. Um, Thank you. 
Yeah, of course. And and like John was just saying before, like, you, you know, we we discovered your show and, and you know, your passion for the band uh, comes full force in this. This is not like any other podcast that is out there about the band. You know, usually uh, most most of you know, what we're doing is about the shows and our experience with the shows. And they're obviously the ones that, that focus on the songs and other subjects. But you're focusing on your personal connection to the band. So what was it like? going back and going through all of this and sort of placing together uh, these ideas on a timeline and, and putting the, these stories together. Yeah, that's something I um, I really had a little bit of a battle with, I think, right out of the gate because I didn't want to do a, a story. I didn't want to tell a, a, a tale or record a podcast that was in league with what you guys do, you know, which is very admirable and awesome. And you guys have a great show going on. And the last thing I wanted to do was retell or reapproach something uh, that had been done already or covered already. And there's a plenty of, you know, great podcasts out there and great, you know, shows that, that go through the various aspects of Pearl Jam. But one thing that I hadn't heard was somebody who's been a lifelong fan or, you know, it's called 30 year fan. Um, going through how they fell in love with the band in the pursuit of discovering more, you know, back in those early days when the best you could get was a rumor. You know, there weren't websites. There was no Internet at the time. You know, you couldn't pull up your favorite show on YouTube and just, you know, reminisce while you're at work or whatever. There was none of that technology existed and none of that capability existed. Um, so I knew it was a pretty big project to take on. I was foolish to think that it could have been one episode. I think we, we talked before I started recording here that, um, you know, I got to about two, two and a half hours in and realized, okay, th this needs to break in half because uh, there's too much to tell here. And the story of my relationship with Pearl Jam and my experiences with the music growing up and then as, you know, going through the transitions throughout my life and how fandom kind of changes and your appreciation changes. And if you're lucky enough to sort of ride the parallels of change that the band does that you're, you know, following or, or enchanted by or so passionate about, in this case, Pearl Jam, you know, that's a really lucky thing. And uh, as it's ebbed and flowed, you know, throughout my life, I found myself falling deeper and deeper into these various stories that tied to various shows that I thought, you know, sketch, sketching it out ahead of time, outlining the thing, I figured, oh, I'll just skim over that with a couple words. Suddenly you're, you know, 20 minutes into a story about that incredible tambourine experience that you had or, you know, sure. the, whatever, whatever momentous, you know, Eddie going off on some crazy rant, um, you know, it pulls you down into those rabbit holes. So it's a nice little, uh, for my own sake, it's an autobiographical bit, you know, that helps me contextualize what my fandom is now, you know, from from all those years. But also what I've come to experience and, and understand from the people who have listened to it is that a lot of these are stories are reflections of stories that other people have, you know, experiences that they went through yeah. that were very similar, uh, whether it be getting their hands on, you know, the no fucking Messiah bootleg or hallucinogenic recipe or, you know, the way that they saw their first show and that kind of thing. Um, it turned into something that grew, kind of grew legs of its own. And at that point, I had to keep up with it, which is really exciting. And so all that makes me uh, kind of a little bit intimidated for the second part, <laughs> knowing that people can be that into it. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it brought back a lot of memories for me. It's exciting. The though. mid 90s and like early 2000s of 
of being there. And yeah, I think we, we have a lot of shared experiences, you know. Um, let, let, you know, let's kind of backtrack a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your website and the podcast and how it got started. Sure, yeah. Uh, the Anti-Quiet podcast is an offshoot of AntiQuiet.com. It's a uh, rock and, well, a music and culture site that's been around since uh, 2007. And it was started by a guy named Squirrel, Kevin Kogel, and I. Um, we kind of became brothers through music from around the turn of the century. <laughs> it's so fucking weird to say around the turn of the century. It, makes, it doesn't make you feel old. Um, yeah, so we, uh, you know, he moved out here based on our friendship and our love of music. And um, we kind of orbited LA and and a lot of what we did at the time when we first kind of got together and we're, we're told told the story on the podcast um, involved going to shows and kind of uh, just stomping all over radio contests uh, that they had in Southern California or in, in San Diego to be able to get these free tickets to sh- shows and so uh, we have a lot of memories tied into Pearl Jam. So, um, yeah, fast forward from 2007 till uh, 2016, 17 or so, we started the podcast as uh, journalism started to go kind of down the drain. And there's, you know, it's a real labor of love to be writing music stories every day and, you know, keeping up with album reviews and interviews and so on when um, ad revenue doesn't work out anymore, you know, and there's... uh, you're going into the red to put and keep the lights on. So at that point, it became more of a passion project than, you know, the day job kind of thing. And uh, the podcast became a new medium by which to be, I don't want to say legitimate, but you could tell the stories and have a more charismatic, I guess, interaction with your audience. And um, that appealed to me a lot. And uh, I like to, I like to talk. I'm a little bit verbose, I think. So you know that that serves the medium well. The one, the one thing, the one mandate that we had for Antiquite across the board is that we have to believe in what we're putting up. I'm not going to promote a band that I wouldn't listen to. And you don't find a sure, whole lot sure. of websites like that, <laughs> you know, these days. Right. A lot they of, will take uh, whatever they can. Yeah, a lot of glad handing, a lot of you know favors for PR, which is you know in itself kind of a, a necessary evil sometimes in the industry to get the the access or the interviews and you know it's kind of the ugly side of, of music journalism um, but being able to take a more personal approach has allowed us to kind of sidestep that so uh, tell us uh, you have a part two coming up for your Pearl Jam fandom episode uh, what's in store this is going to be like 2003 on sort of deal uh, yeah yeah it's a, a very good call it's about 2003 on and that um, I think I ended it around the time when I, I caught the the tambourine um, going with a, another big fan of uh, your guys actually Deborah who calls into the show I, I know Um yeah, and so the the next one is going to be basically from twenty from two thousand three to let's call it twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. Um, it'll come before twenty twenty. Yeah, I promise. <laughs> and but, we'll, uh, we'll be out there. We'll be you know we'll be promoting and we'll be pimping it out as much as yeah. We can. Thank you. I, I very much sure. appreciate that. Yeah. So this one is going to be focused much less on the like you know wild eyed discovery of the band so much as now I've hit my stride of um, I know how to get to the shows now you know and and I know how to follow the band and I know what I'm trying to experience from it um, and I think that that hits that hits maybe a. a a fever pitch because I think there's a, a point I think as a fan where you start to expect things from the band mm-hmm. and if you don't get your way, whether it be through a release or a show or, you know, whatever yeah. the case may be, um, maybe it repels you a little bit. 
and uh, I think there's a story to be found in that. And I had an experience uh, when they headlined Bonnaroo um, in 2016 that I actually caught quite a bit of shit from the fan community about um, and the fan club as well <laughs> um, because they didn't necessarily put on the best show and it was a pretty boilerplate um, set list and Ed was drunk right out of the gate because the show was delayed uh, due to rain. And so it was just kind of a shit show all around. But um, it, 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 I came from, you know, that experience being really kind of bummed out about it to seeing them at Wrigley Field um, later that year. I think it was two months later and being absolutely reborn in terms of, you know, fandom and uh, really absolutely totally blown away and reignited in terms of my passion for the band. And so there's, I think yeah, I was at those shows too. Yeah. It was just absolutely amazing. Like someday we'll go all the way that like everybody crying, you know, during this, like it was just the most magical shit ever. And, um, engagement, there was Gleason who we're going to talk about. In right. Second. Exactly. A so coming out of, of that. Yeah. Yeah. So coming out of that and then going through, you know, certain things in my own life or what have you, um, it's a it's a journey into what it means to be a grown up now and to be appreciating the band for what they are and to, um, you know, find my own way through the music uh, in these parallel paths. Like I was mentioning earlier about how, you know, these guys have grown up. And if I would have heard a song called, you know, The End or Thumbing My Way or something like that when I was a teenager, I'm going to get the fuck away from me. Like this band is, like, there's no, I want nothing to do with this, you know, but, uh, you know, you hit your, your thirties, your late thirties and, and get that big four O around. And, um, suddenly there's some real shit that you're dealing with in life that is mirrored in these sounds. And, uh, I've come to appreciate that more and more as time has gone on. So yeah, that's, that's what part two is essentially going to be about. It's, it's the dad ed phase of your, uh, of, of your fandom. I'm, I'm really not a huge fan of the dad rock, uh, Pearl Jam phase, but, um, you know, there's, there's a good spectrum to work within. So yeah, if people want to, people want to check it out, it's the latest episode of your podcast, Antiquiet. Yes. Yeah, it's it. called Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam Fan Life Part 1, 1991 to 2003. So uh, definitely go and check that out. Highly recommend it. And when part two comes out, we will be the first ones to come on our show and say part two is out. you got to listen to it right now. And I'd even go as far as say drop our show. You can always come back to this. (laughs) Go and listen to that one. It's way more personal, even though you're going to get into some, you know, personal stories here in a second. We're going to talk some really good stuff about uh, Voodoo Fest. Um, But. Yeah, this is a must-listen for any Pearl Jam fans because I think it's going to tug on a lot of heartstrings for you guys. So uh, definitely. That's amazing, man. Thank you. Thank you. You did it. You're the one. Hey, look, you, you're, the one, you're the one that put it together. And, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we stand here in awe. And, and, you know, half of this podcast is us going through and trying to relive people's memories. And half of it is giving back to the people that we really respect in the community and wanting to tell their stories. And, uh, you know, that's part of why we wanted to have you on and, and, and get you get you to tell talk about this today so uh we again really appreciate you you doing this so um let's get into voodoo fest now uh look you kind of mentioned it bonnaroo there festivals are weird and this is the second uh, okay maybe it's the third festival show that we've covered and i'm not i don't want to count pink pop because that's just kind of above everything it's pink pop 92 it's really the the beginning of everything um but we did reading festival uh 2006 we did that back in the summer uh but this is you know this is not really our wheelhouse doing festivals because you kind of look at a festival set list and you're like well 
you know, what's so special about that? There's Jeremy, there's Daughter, there's Better Man, there's all the normal stuff. It's all just jam-packed into one show. But this one does have an air of some really special moments to it. So what I want to know from you is going into the show, you're expecting kind of festival. And this is around the time where I had a bad festival experience the year before this at Made in America Festival where it was uh. – that was my version of your Bonnaroo where I, I Eddie again was plastered. The crowd was all they cared about was Jay Z and Drake. I wasn't into it at all. You know, I, I've stayed away from festivals since then. And really that's why we've stayed away from festivals on the show too. So you're going into the show and I don't know if it was widely um, announced that Steve Gleason was going to be there. Uh, this was Around the time where I, I was actually working at ESPN at the time, uh, I was working really closely within the NFL uh, group, and uh, I was moving, I was starting the transition to working into NFL Countdown. So this was, uh, I, I want to say right before Lightning Bolt came out, maybe like a week or two before it came out, this feature uh, with Steve Gleason came out, and I remember... I was, uh, you know, I was sitting in our, our screening area and I overheard one of the producers is like, oh yeah, we got Pearl Jam c- coming on the show this weekend. And I, I roll my chair over and I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what? It's just Pearl, like acting like it's just some 90s nostalgia band. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, uh, this is a pretty big deal. Can you tell me more about this? And I don't remember what was said, but I went back to a message that I posted on the forums, and I can't believe that I actually remember this. I posted uh, before the feature ran, and I posted to people on the forums like, hey, look out for this. I don't know if people knew the story about Steve Gleason at the time. It was really the first time that they were uh, talking about his ALS and his battle through it and his connection to McCready and Eddie. Uh, it, it was really the first time that anybody knew about this in the public eye. So w- my information, even being and talking to the producers, and I know I knew the guy that produced it, I knew the guy that edited it, they didn't tell me anything beforehand except for it's going to make you cry. It's going to be emotional. Uh, you know, just, just wait, there's going to, you know, there was a five minute edition. There was a uh, 10 minute edition that ran on E60 after the countdown feature, but uh, both were fantastic. Uh, But that's what, you know, kind of tying into this. uh, Did you know going into this, were you expecting festival show? Were you expecting, uh, you know, were you expecting something different or or were you just kind of there you know, New Orleans, let's have a good time. Voodoo Festival, Man. Nine Inch Nails the next night, you know. It's- yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you, you kind of nailed it. Where festivals, I, I've i always loved music festivals. A lot of my friends hate them. Um, you know, for the past 13 years, I've been going out to damn near every music festival and covering it, um, you know, reviewing it as well as taking photos and so on. So I've been intimately familiar with, with the whole gamut of uh of festivals, but the one that I had never hit up until 2013 was the Voodoo Festival and had never been to New Orleans. And uh, it was just one of those things that was like, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. And of course, you know, Pearl Jam headlining is certainly a way to do it right, you know, for, mm-hmm. for fans like us. So, um, 
my excitement going down there was at a fever pitch, even though I kept telling myself, okay, listen, it's just a, it's going to be just a festival set and it's only going to be, you know, so long and they've got to play the hits and they've got to, you know, cross off these boxes because that's what you do when you're at a festival where there's fucking Macklemore and, and The Cure and Nine Inch Nails, you know, and, um, but you also want to show up and it still had that very, it was, uh, a, a little while after Halloween, not too many days after. Um, so it's still very it was much the first. Yeah. And it had that, uh, so yeah, about as close as Halloween as you can get. Um, so people were still wearing costumes. There was still that like mystical kind of feeling. Um, and especially in New Orleans. I mean, I've got only three or four trips down there under my belt now by this point. And, um, it's, you know, such an incredible town, such a magical kind of spooky in a, in a fun kind of way place to be. Um, and so, you know, being down there wide eyed, it's, you know, my first trip to New Orleans at, at that point and wandering around the Voodoo Fest, I was super excited to see, uh, Nine Inch Nails. I was super excited to see, you know, Pearl Jam. And there was, uh, just an air of, I don't want to call it mystique in the air, but there was, there was something to it that seemed kind of extra. And I didn't know anything about the Steve Gleason, um, element at all. And I'd, I'd heard the name bandied about here and there. Uh, but until that video that you had mentioned, I had no idea whatsoever. And that really threw people hard because it was, um, it was a powerful video. And, yeah. uh, you know, at this point you could probably speak more to that than me, but I was, I had a photo pass. Um, cause like I said, I was there covering the festival, but I didn't want to go in the pit for three songs and then have to go out where, you know, the whole crowd is packed in. So you're going to have to go to the very back for the rest of it. I'm like, do I get those sure. first three intimate experiences and then sacrifice the rest or find an alternative? So, uh, I dug my way into the pit, um, about halfway through the day and it became a struggle for perseverance. I guess you could say, you know, it was very sweaty and, um, People were very elbowy, but still very, uh, very jovial. Um, and I, I credit that to the area, but I wound up becoming about, let's call it four rows back, uh, in the crush of people. And it was an incredible place to be because I was on Mike's side. And so for the whole show, I was able to be pretty close, close to the front as you could get without having your hand on the rail. Um, right. but I took maybe 1600 pictures, uh, while I was there because I was determined to get a good shot, uh, of Eddie. Um, but I had to hide my camera from security and so on. And we can get to, to, uh, the best photo I've ever taken of the band uh, later on. In Which the is going to have to get to our social media accounts at some point. Yeah. I, excellent. Great. Um, but yeah, it was, there was a sense of real magic to the air. And as the show came closer, there was this new year's Eve level celebration, this anticipation that, I mean, there's always that feeling before the, the big Pearl Jam show, you know, but, um, something felt different. Something felt a little magical. And then this Steve Gleason thing happened. Um, and he came out and intro the band and, you know, came to find out that he wrote the set list and so on. I want to mention too, we, you know, we covered the show that took place before this in Charlotte, where I talked about, you know, that was my first experience being on the rail and everything that happened there. And, you know, the band was in high spirits in that show. They were joking around, playing around, and Still you know, this show, this show being two days later, yeah, exactly. So this was a little, a great run of shows. If you go back to Charlottesville, which had a great set list, then Charlotte, then New Orleans. I remember in 2013, like here being in Atlanta, 
like, wait, how did we're getting skipped again? What's what's happening? <laughs> um, like we're right in between Charlotte and New Orleans. Like that would have been a cool Halloween show. Uh, so I, I remember I, I drove up to Charlotte for that one, but I, I didn't end up going to New Orleans. And after after hearing about it, I was ex- extremely jealous that that wasn't happening in Atlanta. Oh, man. Sorry to hear it. Just a quick teaser on on whether or not it's worthwhile. If, you know, people are listening to it right now, like, yeah, another Pearl Jam show at a festival, really. In addition to Eddie swinging on the lights that are hanging down by the end of the show and, you know, passing a bottle around, you know, like he does, he's dancing with furries on stage and he's making fun of the jacuzzi section. I mean, there's a there's some incredible highlights that make this show um, really special. And, We're gonna have to talk about that jacuzzi section because he he mentioned that and I'm thinking to myself I'm like ooh that's not that is anti that is anti Eddie right there that is anti everything they stand for so <laughs> I want I, I when he mentions it I, I want to know more about this jacuzzi section because you've seen it NFL games now and baseball games they have a pool in in you know the home run territory or something like that so I'm mm. gonna guess it's probably the same if you were if you crap. were in the jacuzzi section send us an email live on four legs podcast <laughs> and then John will come to your house and. Let Let's know how it was. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, that's. I mean, it's. He had a very valid complaint because the VIP section was enormous and it cut out a lot of the area where these, you know, super fans would otherwise be. But it's just people who are sitting there, you know, with big open spaces and kind of sipping cocktails and waving their arms to Jeremy. Uh, you don't want that kind of shit at your show. No, that's yeah. At that, least not up front. Not right. Exactly. So a little background on Steve Gleason. Uh, you know, I, I, I think most people know who he is by now and what his connection to Pearl Jam is. Uh, you know, he's uh, one of very few people that have uh, made a Pearl Jam set list in full. Many, f- uh, you know, f- popular fans and, and uh, celebrity fans and a fan, Brian Farias, uh, created the Amsterdam set list. Uh uh, Patrick Warburton got to create a set in L.A. a couple years back. I think their crew got to create a set. Um, he even let uh, Jeff Ament create a set this past year, which was which was nice of him to do. Which uh, <laughs> I think that's all he had to do was be in the band for twenty nine years and, right. and have it be in his hometown. <laughs> I don't even know if he created the whole thing. It was just like, okay, uh, you want B girl? Do you want pilot? All right, uh, we'll give we'll give you those to you, but everything else is mine. You see, this is my band. Uh, but, you know, Steve Gleason has done something that n- almost nobody, a very, very small fraction of people have been able to wiggle their self into. Um, and, you know, a, a little background on him uh, and how he's kind of famous in the world of sports. Uh, after Hurricane Katrina, uh, the Saints uh, didn't play in the Super Superdome the whole year. So 2006, they come back to the Superdome. It's Monday Night Football. It's the first week of the season. And I can't remember if it was the very first play of the game or in the first quarter, uh, there's a blocked punt. And right away, that that was Steve Gleason. Yeah, he was like a yeah, he was like a backup receiver or something. He wasn't like special a teamers, special teamers, special teams guy. But yeah, he, yeah, he made this made this amazing play. And I think there's a statue of him there is in the city a, now of that play. Yeah. There's indeed a statue up in Superdome, and he became kind of this sort of cult hero in a way. And uh, unfortunately, 
you know, at the age of 35 or 36, something like that, he, uh, you know, succumbed to, to ALS and he's still fighting it to this day. But watching that video that we were talking about before the feature uh, that uh, NFL Countdown ran, he said that doctors gave him three to five years to live. Well, it's six years now. It's probably more considering that they didn't make the feature, you know, right after he was diagnosed. So he's he's winning this battle right now. Like as much as as he can be winning this battle, he is beating the odds, which is kind of amazing to see. And you know, we're we're obviously all rooting for him as as fans of of his and fans of the band. It, it's uh, it is amazing to to see uh, something like this happen because there was a show last year where. Uh, Ed had mentioned somebody who was uh, battling ALS, and unfortunately, uh, that person had passed uh, since that show, uh, and it's only been a year. So that's, you know, unfortunately, like, these things happen, and it's just... It's heartbreaking. I think, yeah, it really is. Like, you know, he has a young kid. I think he has two kids now. He has a wife. He has family. I read more things, you know, and, and they released a documentary about him, uh, over the past year, which I, I haven't, I haven't watched it. I, I, I'm meaning to watch it. Uh, but really it's, um, you know, it, it's just more of a, uh, a way for him to do a video documentary to show his son's, uh, what his life was like and what kind of person he was like and sort of him living out the, the, the end of his, of his life, the way he was doing it. Um, it's kind of heartbreaking to see. And, um, yeah. you know, that he got this shot to come on stage and, and honestly, this intro right here says it all. This is my dear friend, Steve Gleason right here. Please give him a big round of applause. He's got some stuff he wants to say to you. Hey there, welcome to New Orleans and welcome to Voodoo People. I hope you're enjoying this so far. This next band has been rocking stages like this for almost 25 years. New Orleans has become my hometown, but this is my hometown band. Ladies and Gentlemen of Voodoo, please welcome to the stage one of the greatest American rock bands ever, Pearl Jam. It really just shows how much the band truly has this respect and admiration for him uh, that he got to be alongside them on stage. And it's he's helping them pick the soundtrack for the night, but he's also, it, it tells you that they're this is a mutual relationship. This isn't just a charity case that, you know, this was all heartfelt. And he said it in the feature. He said that they weren't acting out of pity. They weren't acting out of charity. Uh, you know, he makes a really good connection with Mike because of, of Crohn's disease and Mike battling that, uh, throughout, throughout the years. So, you know, there is a major connection, uh, between him and the band. And, you know, I, I don't think I realized this until that feature came out, but Sirens is such a prominent song in this, you know, this latter stages of the band. 
and this is what they open with here. Hear the sirens. Hear the sirens. Hear the sirens. Hear the circus so profound. Ah, hear the sirens. More and more in this here town. saw the set list i'm thinking to myself this and sirens being the soundtrack to the future holy shit sirens was basically written about steve gleason and if not written exactly about his situation it was it's almost purposefully about how you know how life is you know nothing is guaranteed and how hard it is to I mean it's about you know it's about appreciating what you have and being just living in the moment and all those things that you when you when you when you're around people like that or who've inspired you and you know see people battling like that it it probably resonated with Eddie a lot and made him you know want to write something special for it fuck man uh, I'd never I'd never thought about it through the lens of of uh Steve um and you're right. That definitely puts it in a, a, a very different context and connotation that very much applies uh, if you if you lay the lyrics into it. Um, that's a that's a really interesting theory. I'm I'm fully behind it. Uh, it's kind of funny that you bring up sirens. I mean, obviously it's the first song, it's the first place to to begin. But um, I, the moment that song began, and I'm like welling up just fucking thinking about it. Jesus, the moment that song began, I knew that this was not a festival show. I knew that this was not going to be the, the hits run kind of fun adventure. Cause that, I mean, that might be the closest thing to the new single or, you know, whatever, but to open with that when it's so poignant and so sentimental and like deeply, deeply, um, emotive, uh, not in a black kind of way, you know, talking about heartache, but I mean, there's very complex emotions and like the fear of, like you said, not being able to be there for your family and, you know, the, the priorities of, um, of what it means to be a, a grown up, you know, rather than to be focused on, you know, the love of one person or whatever. Uh, 
it's it was profound and uh i was without going too deep into it i was going through um some pretty intense personal relationship uh stuff at the time and uh you know, having kids that, that puts it in a much heavier context. And so I was applying a lot of those lyrics and a lot of that story, um, through, through my own filter, through my own lens. And, uh, you know, that, that hit me like a bag of rocks when, when it first started. Um, but to then hear that there's, you know, that Steve Gleason connection and then that he actually wrote the set list, like, man, yeah, that's, that's heavy. And I don't know if you noticed this at all, but, I don't think I've ever noticed this out of any Pearl Jam performance outside of, you know, uh, I, I guess like the Rockin' in the Free Worlds and the All Hands on Deck kind of songs. But every single member of the band is singing backup in this song. Yes. Stone singing backup. Jeff is singing backup. Matt, Mike, usually singing backup in the song. They're all doing it. And they're all outside doing of maybe the, the hallelujah part. For you know, do the evolution? Or oh, something. sure, yeah, but <laughs> that's know? again like jokey things. Like, but right. this is every single person is bringing something, and it's almost like they're all giving it back to Steve. Like you said, all of them singing, you know, back up and, and really being present. Uh, you feel that. You see that. And that's a, a dedication that played out through the next, what, 26, 25 songs. Um, and holy shit, what a great show it was. Yeah. And right off the bat, like you get from Sirens into In My Tree. And again, you're thinking festival set lists and openers, not even re release and not even pendulum, which was the obvious opener at the time, but it's usually stuff like go. It's usually stuff like corduroy, uh, you know, maybe even a Y go here and there, but this is sort of, I, I feel like in my tree was a really good, just sort of balance between the emotion from sirens and then having to get into stuff like save you corduroy animal lightning bolt, mind your manners all packaged. Um, and I really feel like this one was one that Steve said right off the top, like this is another poignant one that he would request uh, specifically because of, of the lyrics, because it's kind of, you know, you're in your sort of your own domain. You're, you're almost fighting by yourself when uh, nobody else is, is there to help you fight your battles. Um, it's got that same, mentality to it a lot of these songs and we'll we'll go through given a fly inside job a lot of these songs have that same air of just uh you know just life and and, fr and fragile fragility uh but i you know getting in my tree at a festival show not something that that you're gonna get almost at any time the pulverizing drums, uh, that was something that yes. was in, like the way that Matt kicked into those drums to start the song.
by now but you know there's a the way that he was leaning into that opening beat and the way that was thunderous it reminded me of jack irons it reminded me of you know when this when this song was first kind of rolling out and they kind of had something to prove with it um and it was thrilling yeah i i don't disagree at all yeah this is one of my favorite this is one of my favorite pearl jam songs and this love this version like the drums the mccready solo at the end they they were on another level and I'm happy to have you back, original version of In My Tree, because it feels like the last, I don't know, three or four times that we've covered the song, it's been the extended uh, 2003 through 2006 version where it's uh, it's the, the longer intro, the, uh, you know, the paced chorus. Um, I, while I love both versions, I really, you know, when I hear the original now, it's kind of like... Uh, it's, it feels it feels right. It feels special again to to get it because you know when we're not listening to a show that we cover, you know it, it's it's hard to to do the work life balance with with this stuff, and it's hard to listen to other bootlegs just for fun. So getting an in my tree that sounds like in my tree was uh, it was good to have it back. Um, <laughs> I agree. So right here it's just again a banger of all of your very typical festival set songs save you corduroy animal lightning bolt minor manners packaged together five songs bam 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 uh it's straightforward choices to to win a big crowd over and you're coming off of what was a very emotional first 10 minutes of that set and you're now saying all right you know what we have we have a little extra step in 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 us we have some energy it's time to bring it, and what, this is this is what you were kind of expecting from this night. I'm I'm gonna assume. Yeah, you hit that you know that high energy stride, like you said. There were six, seven, eight songs that were you know bangers, and um, you hit that stretch of high energy and kind of keeping everybody in the in the zone. And um, before given to fly, which you know arguably kind of slowed things down a little bit at first. Um, Eddie kind of kept the energy going and kept it high by uh, talking. He, he made a couple comments about um, getting arrested in New Orleans. And yes. he was, you know, asking for a show of hands who's been arrested in New Orleans and so on. He's like, I should raise my hand. And um, kind of keeping the the uh, comical spirits of the night, you know, running. He uh, asked who planned on getting arrested later that night. And he told them about a guy they could call um, a fellow Seattleite and so on. And it was this big lead up to him talking about. <laughs> yeah. He, he flubbed that. He flubbed that last number. I really wanted Macklemore's phone number. <laughs> right. And so, you know, he said, he'll pay your bail or give you $10 to buy some big floppy old man shoes. Um, you know, and actually gave, I don't know if that was his real phone number. I doubt it, but uh, he dedicated. I don't him. know. It, it like, Obviously, you can say two oh six, yada 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 yada. But <laughs> like, he kind of he kind of sounded like he had to stop himself uh, from you know spilling the beans for a second. And didn't yeah. he give his number? On oh a yeah, he's been he's been known show? to give out his he's been known to give out his number at, on more than one occasion. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, this, this he, is going back go a ways, but yeah, he dedicated uh, "Given to Fly" to to Macklemore. Um, from that and you know that's it was a nice touch and uh there was a lot of a lot of that kind of goofiness um but also with a little bit of 
a little bit of sociopolitical um, edge to it. You know, I think it was before uh, Severed Hand. Yeah, Ed introduced Severed Hand as a song about all the overdoses on marijuana, you know, up in Seattle since it was legalized. And then he's, you know, waited for <laughs> applause or pause, you know, and, and then said, obviously, I'm joking because that's never fucking happened ever, <laughs> you know, and uh, that that was great to hear. You know, I mean, we're six years out from um, from that show, you know, and the legalization battle in a lot of states isn't even an issue anymore. But at the time, there was still a lot of that reefer madness stigma going around. Uh, so it was cool to hear him, you know, say that. And I probably had a yeah, joint there's... hanging out of my mouth at the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> given given a fly, like I, I don't want to get off track here, but given a fly, um, again another coming from right from Steve Gleason, uh, you know, and and it, it, it's look when you look at the set list, and you can say sure he created the set list, but I ha- I have to think that there has to be some influence from the band in there because if you're a hardcore fan, you have to be thinking well. I want like MFC and I want uh, red mosquito and I want this and that, but it's a festival show. So there needs to be some balance. So I wonder if, if Ed said, Hey, look, um, like request some good songs, but also know that we got to play corduroy and animal and, Jeremy <laughs> and even and flow, that. of course. Right. Yeah. So, but this one is one that I'm sure that Gleason was like, okay, we have to have it. And the reason being is uh, around 2016, around when uh, his documentary came out and when he uh, came and introduced the band for Inside Job at, at Wrigley Field, he uh, he did this playlist um, that is this playlist article that ESPN put out, and Pearl Jam's on there I think three times. Every other band has only one song, uh, but Given the Fly was one of them, and I want to read the reasoning why this is, is special to Steve. So says, I think there's a special connection to my family and our group of friends for me. And this is about uh, mostly about Mike and, you know, because Mike wrote the song uh, for me and my friends. Give Me to Fly was always one of those songs where the band is in mid song. and We'd look at each other. How is it? And say, how amazing is this song and the story in this performance? And it's one thing to sing about a wave crashing like a fist to the jaw. And it's another thing altogether to have actually your body physically crushed by disease. So this song and its tune and its lyrics have strengthened me in my times of trouble because Given a Fly sits as a fortress in the trailer for the upcoming film and underpins the soundtrack of the movie. And that, like, to me, you know, it, it explains everything. That That's a perfect analogy for what he was going through. Right. Damn. If you notice, too, Mike is, he's finger-picking the intro. I don't know if he normally does that. Maybe it was on purpose, like, to slow it down. Interesting. Maybe so they wouldn't play too fast, but if you watch the video, he's actually, yeah, he's finger picking it. It makes it sound a little different and a little slower.
uh, a couple here, and it's 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 hard to section these because I wanted there's certain ones that I really want to point out. Uh, but before going into getaway, Ed talks about this one's about intolerance and all the things that we're intolerant about, uh, you know, and we're intolerant to intolerance and all that. Um, it goes into getaway, which is the second performance of the song. And John, you, you mentioned Charlotte uh, before, and that was the debut. Uh, night of getaway which was something that you know throughout that whole tour on lightning bolt everybody was asking when's getaway happening when's getaway happening because it's the the opening track to the album it's one of the better songs it's one of the ones that sort of fits that you know older timeline it has some you know it has some grit to it um and we discussed in that episode that it just didn't have that same flair that same vigor that the album version has and i feel like they're still in that zone even though later on they 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 seem to find it a little bit and find the riff a little bit but i I think they're in that same zone here with getaway charlotte was a little rough i thought this one was better it definitely had a better like pace and rhythm to it uh yeah i liked it a lot I think we have to mention Even Flow here for one reason. It's a nice little callback to St. Louis 2000. Uh, there's an interpreter in front of the stage, and in the middle of the second verse, Ed sort of gives attention to her. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but he changed the lyric to say fuck to try to get her to give the middle finger. <laughs> did, did you notice that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't think yep. she did. I think she she kind of she kind of laughed it off and... Uh, and went in a different direction from that. But again, uh, even flow, shred fest, Mike, you know, we, we know the whole Lord. Well, it, has, right now. it has kind of a cool, like he does. It kind of, everybody kind of drops out. Like it kind of like decreases. And then Mike kind of does a little jazzy guitar thing. I don't know if it was a, a little snippet of something, but then everybody kind of comes back in. I really, it was cool the way it kind of like they brought it down and then brought it back up. It was uh, not something you get every time. Even flows one of those songs that you hear at every show and you're, you know, it's not the go get a beer song, but it's definitely the, okay, it's even flow. All right. And you, you know, know it's like, 10 minutes long. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Matt's got a, maybe a drum solo and Mike's going to, you know, throw some shit down. But, um, this one was real special to me outside of the, the interpreter moment, just because Mike was absolutely on fire. I mean, the, what he did with the solo was unbelievable. It just ripped. And uh, not to mention he played the whole thing behind his head, or uh, at least most of it, you know. And I mean, that's that's come to be expected by now. It's, come to it's be expected, not as but, hard like, to do as you might think. It just fucking shredded so hard, though. It was such a good solo. And it's like, wait, hold, oh, yeah. wait that was all behind his head? Like, holy shit. Oh, you, you, And you know, in this whole show, you know, McCready's on another level because – He's playing for Steve Gleason, who's right. standing next to him. He's right. he's he's in another stratosphere in this yeah. show. And I'm directly in front of Mike for the show. Remember, so I'm just I'm shit eating grin on my face. And um, you know, of everybody in the band at this point, Mike's crowd work is you know exceeds anybody else's. You know, it's we'll talk about it later. Mike is uh, swatting swatting the the lighting uh, bulbs, and he's running through the crowd around the time uh, that Alive and Rockin' come out. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, this is this is a very special Mike show. He had, you know that that connection with Gleason is definitely rubbing off on him, and that sort of 
uh, is a reason why I, I want to take the next song and, and, and focus on this a little bit, but because again, present tense, the lyrics and living in the moment, living in now living for today, uh, not worrying, you know, leaving the past behind again, one that I'm just attributing to Steve Gleason. And you mentioned how Ed was howling during that, that part there. And the band was so tight during that section. And sometimes, Sometimes in present tense, they have this tendency to just, it, it kind of gets a little, a little dazed. I don't want to say lackadaisical, but it's just a little, I don't know. It's just melt, a little more melodical, but this one was, this one was straight up hard rock. Yeah, I fully agree. And like I said, Ed's throat, I mean, he was screaming that, um, the part of the chorus, you know, and it was just, uh, you could tell there's real power behind it and intent and they wanted to do it right. And that's something, I don't know, when when the band hits the stage and you get the sense that they want to turn in a good show, like that's just really exciting because they don't fail when it comes to that. You know? And then when, when you get to the bridge of this one, did you hear Ed? It's like he's kind of lost in the moment. And he keeps saying, that's the way, that's the way. This, this other presence to it that uh, just um, especially for this song that has such an in, intense ending uh, that develops um, it really sounds sounds fantastic on this night yeah it's a tremendous tremendous song and a great performance for sure after this this is where the weed uh, the weed uh, uh, legalization comes in <laughs> All the and, overdoses. right yep uh, lots of overdoses since then um, counting on one hand, oh, zero, uh, zero overdoses leading right. into severed hand, uh, severed hand, again, not going to talk about a lot about set, uh, construction here, but you don't see severed hand in the middle part of the set. And we've done a lot of the 2006 shows, uh, in the recent year. So severed hand has been up towards the top. Number three, number four, within that first batch of songs. So getting it here is a little. It's a, It's the one. It's the one part of the set construction that uh, I have a little bit of a little issue with. Not, but only because it's unfamiliar. Huh. I like the unfamiliarity. Well, I think it's, it's you know it's probably the best live song off of Avocado. The way it translates, um, if not it, it, again, you know, first or second, so nitpicking it, it works anywhere, yeah. It, it's completely nitpicking, and it's not going to ruin uh, my rating for the show or my enjoyment for the show at all because it was it was performed well and all that. And uh, you know, I, 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 I do think that in other circumstances, um, daughter following present tense would have been the way to go here. And, and um, it was a really, really good daughter with some good, uh, um, another brick in the wall tag on this one. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I really enjoyed the fact that they brought it 
up with severed hand before going into daughter. Um, if, and had they done that directly from present tense, I think there's a, maybe a, a residual poignancy that would carry over um, in a certain way that I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a tease their own as far as that goes, you know, in the process of the yeah. set list. But, you know, daughter was, was great. I don't, I wouldn't say it was particularly remarkable. Uh, it had the, I feel the, that about daughter all the time. And I yeah. keep fighting myself. I'm like, when is there going to be a daughter that just outside of, you know, a show box, uh, kind of performance, but when is there going to be a daughter that's, you know, got a tag that, that doesn't have that, Hey, 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 like, you know, it's the same <laughs> spiel. And John, I know you're kind of on, you're on team daughter more. I will fight both of you. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. John has just put the challenge down. Hey, it's down. a great song. I'm not, I'm not against it by any means. Um, I, yeah, I think we could do a little bit, a little bit with some variety there though at the end. Well, I mean, in, again, you don't get another brick in the wall as much as you did back in the the nineties. So and again, I've talked about this shows that I've been to. As soon as they go into the daughter tag, you hear everyone on the front row start singing it anyway. Mm-hmm. So this is the one that people still go to when they think of daughter tag. So it was, I'm sure it was great for the people that were there. You know, they people that remember that Saturday Night Live performance in Atlanta '94 and all that. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was excellent. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, for the people who've been fans as long as we have. That's you know that. Um the SNL performance in 94 or the uh, oh, yeah. 94 performance, you know, the Fox Theater in Atlanta, you know, those are tattooed on our hearts. Um, so it's, it's really hard to hit that standard, you know, but, you know, in this particular uh, version, the band just kind of, you felt it kind of petered out. You know, I'm sure he kind of signaled to him, you know, towards the end there or whatever, but uh, it felt like, do we keep going? Are we going to keep going? Okay. All right, we're done. I think they real yeah, I think they realize that, hey, this is a festival, we're kind of on a budget here. Um, <laughs> you know, we need to we need to kind of keep things moving and, and if it were any other daughter there would have been another, you know, a couple sequences of Ayo, Ayo and all that crap. Uh, right. but I, I do appreciate that it was sort of it was sectioned off and, and trimmed down a little bit. I hear the Shut heavy up, breathing. John. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy in front of a festival crowd, it never fails, but it's always the one that you know, uh, going back to the Made in America show that I complained about before that I usually go back and complain about on this show. Um, two people standing in front of me once the, you know, the bass riff comes into Jeremy, and I don't think they made a face the whole entire night, but once that bass riff comes in, they're like, Oh, I know this one, and it's just like it's an eye roll. But you know what? Like that's not that's not any sort of negative co- comment on the song itself because the performance was really good. Uh, but this is this is a must play at a festival. Yeah, I don't think you can get around that. Fe- yeah, the, jacu- the jacuzzi and- folks. I was kind of surprised uh, that, um, I mean, obviously Steve Gleason wrote the set list, but I was surprised that Small Town wasn't on it because it's such a sing-along song and such yeah. a, an easy transition into that, that kind of feel-good collaboration. And you know what? No, uh, no better man on this either, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, again, Steve, Steve is picking the set. He's making the decisions <laughs> here. But, uh, and I think there was another... I think in 2016 there was another uh, New Orleans show, uh, Jazz Fest, that I think he um, he did a lot of, at least made a lot of uh, choices for. And I'll, we'll get to that 
uh, for another song that comes up. Uh, did they did they play Atlanta in two thousand? No, no, they don't play no, Atlanta. That one got That's, skipped as well. They yeah. left. They left their hearts in the Fox Theater. Um, this this one though, obviously, we had mentioned the song uh, before, and the connection to Steve Gleason. But Ed says that he, he was, he's giving a toast to Steve and his family, and there's shots in the crowd of uh, Steve smiling, which. I don't if if you watch the feature Steve has trouble smiling when you know even when he's talking about emotional things uh you know there were moments where he was with his son where you can see he was trying to put together a smile he has a legit full like Cheshire cat grin at this point it, it's really I don't you know I don't know how difficult that is for him or or what but like it, it was kind of I was, I was kind of sh- i was shocked I, I was a little well i mean I shocked by that think think about the context of it it's just like your favorite band that you've developed this incredible connection with is now playing a show that you designed you know and they never do that it's such an extreme rarity um yeah, I think uh, I, I, I certainly couldn't imagine. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna remember this. He he's gonna remember right. this forever. And not only that, but like the most important thing that that we said for him is to document his life to show his sons what kind of person he was. So his sons get to see that shot of him in the crowd smiling when they mention his name, knowing that hey. Uh, and there was a story back uh, uh, that same playlist uh, article that I read that he went to go see them in Missoula for the first time traveling from, uh, he is, he is a, I wouldn't say a Seattle guy, but he is a Washington guy. So he's, he's local with the band. Um, and you know, he, he mentions like how crazy of a trip that was. And that, that's the sort of thing that's probably going through his head. He's like, I was just a kid back then. I didn't know that any of this would happen. And now I'm sitting here and, you know, these guys that are talking to me, they're, they're my friends. And I just made, I, I just selected the songs for them to play. And it's, you know, what, what's going on through his head is, is something that, you know, unfortunately none of us peons would ever be able to experience on that kind of level. Uh, but it defines the fact that music is more powerful than life and, uh, and can inspire so many great things. Uh, that that we just that we can't control that that just you know inspires happiness and inspires absolute joy it's, it's got power yeah uh, maybe and, maybe it takes something like that sorry to interrupt you but maybe it takes a, a a terrible experience or a terrible um position to be in you know a tragedy like like he's gone through to really root yourself in the moment. And even though it might be painful to smile or what have you, but to recognize that like, maybe this is as good as it gets in life. Not to say that his limitations make it so that's as good as it gets, but like, and to have a band playing all of your favorite songs to you with thousands of people around you and like have that respect and introduction. Like there's something really profoundly uh, impactful about that, that I don't know. There were a lot of people wiping away a lot of tears uh, when he was brought up and, and discussed and when he came out and so on. And with the way that this song written by Mike, the only song lyrics and music written by Mike, um, the way that it's produced and the way that it, it it's you know it shows this vulnerability into what Mike 
has dealt with and what he's become as as a person and um and how he chooses to to fight his battles it, it speaks for uh, i think a lot of us i see the connection to him and these lyrics of these songs and it's uh it's powerful it's just amazing what what music can do to you sometimes absolutely absolutely um yeah, it's just a testament to the profound power of music. And I've gone through, uh, you know, we talked earlier about going through different stages in life of, of what music does to you, how it moves you, how it affects you, uh, you know, whether it be this band or, or music in general. Um, and I think I've gone through a cynical time where um, I, I would scoff a little bit at somebody saying they've been saved by music or, you know, something along those lines. But uh, now looking back, I feel like a real asshole, you know, taking that position for, <laughs> for any length of time. Um, just because it's, it's so consistently and so profoundly, uh, impactful and can completely change, you know, the four chords can completely change your outlook on the day. And if I'm in a bad mood or if I'm really down or, you know, whatever, there's a few go-to songs that I have that I know hands down are going to pull me out of this. This is, this is the anthem to the show from, for me. Uh, you know, it speaks to what this show is. Um, let's, uh, we got the end of the set here though. Uh, it's state of love and trust in rear view mirror and another connection with state of love and trust. I mentioned before jazz fest, um, Steve Gleason and his wife kind of picked a a bunch of the songs, uh, from that jazz fest show a couple years ago. And one of the ones that they said, uh, that I was reading uh, from that same playlist article, which I'm going to have to post now. I've, I've mentioned it three times. Um, it, it's got great stuff. So, you know, and it's not anything shocking. It's all stuff that everyone's going to say, wow, this is stuff I've been listening to for the past 25 years. So it's, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's right up your alley. Uh, and he said, he, you know, his wife says to him, like, they really need to do state of love and trust tonight. Um, so Steve comes out at jazz fest, introduces the band again and not something they do at all same with sirens but open the show state of love and trust and that's like 1993 kind of shit right there like Hell yeah. you know yeah like that that's what you know in this version of state of love and trust is, is fantastic but like that's making me think of of that of that moment and going back to that that's that's kind of crazy yeah, man, that's a not enough uh, good can ever be said about that song, as far as I'm concerned. I and, agree. You know, even the the sloppiest version in live performance is like, fuck yeah, we got state of love and trust. Rear view mirror ending this first set, John. You you mentioned that you really like this version. After you mentioned you like this version, I realized how much I really like this version. Um, the first thing that that sticks out to me, middle of the chorus of the second chorus. Uh, there are no lights on him. You know, the, 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 the brownish orange light that usually comes out during rear mirror, that's supposed to look like a headlight. Um, which I, I guess I just put together right now. Um, <laughs> uh, apparently that wasn't in Ed's face enough for him to see the crowd. So, you know, middle of it, I couldn't even breathe. Kill you. Can't see. Right. <laughs> works it out. Fist on my plate. Kill you. I can't see. get into the later section of this song the bridge and we always mention what the bridge sounds like and what they're doing and what they're experimenting with but um ed does a little bit of improvising here he says i can't forget i will forgive and he kind of keeps repeating it it sounded really powerful i will forgive 
clapping from the crowd and you get ed sort of going into this diatribe of you know let's run away from every asshole we've ever met and it's 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 lifting you to this level of like you know it's it's sort of empowering you again like um john john you were you were saying how much you like this version what's yeah i mean they they they've played rearview mirror what 500 times there's not a bad version and you know i love the little the little speech at the end where he's like I've said before, he's he's so charismatic. Like he can, he knows when he's got the crowd in the palm of his hand, and he can he he just grabs him at this point and and takes him with him on that little speech. You know, like here we go, guys, come come yeah. on with me. We're we're gonna do this, and it's just it's just one of those special moments that you you get during the song. I just I totally I loved agree it. with you. And this is as far as I'm concerned, top five rearview mirrors I've ever seen. Um, wow. It just it like continually escalated and kept getting more and more intense and more and more um, exciting, you know. And Ed's little uh, ad living or you know whatever he was saying there, I you know I'll I'll forget, but I won't forgive or you know whatever he was saying. Um, really kind of you know sucked you in even further, and his energy was something that I think we were feeding off of more than more than maybe anything else outside of you know maybe Mike, but um, he was very clearly into it. And very clearly excited about how things were going. You could tell that, like this was yeah. this was a moment that they were owning. And um, whether it be you know feeling like they were doing Steve proud uh, by by doing it right, you know, by putting on a killer show, or just the execution of it, you know, at this festival, um, it was it was profoundly awesome. And I I've gone back to this song from this show so many times, so many times. It's uh. It's just so explosive and intense, and um, it has a whole new vitality. You know, the song was like 20 years old by that point. I think we've we've seen such a transformation of this one over the years with uh, experimenting with, with what Stone is, has done. And, you know, we've talked about versions of the bridge that sounded like the Beatles, versions that sounded like the Grateful Dead, versions that sounded like Pink <laughs> Floyd. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's the one, again thing that you keep thinking that the band can't top what they did the last time and then they find a way to change your mind they find a way to 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 top what you thought couldn't be topped and uh, again rearview mirror for me like has always been up there as, as a top 10 favorite and sometimes i keep thinking to myself i'm like well if i hear it again live like it's not going to have that same passion as it did the last time and they they find a way they find a way with it so this one yeah you saying that it's a top five out of almost 60 songs you must have seen him probably 45 or so times i would think ish yeah sounds that sounds about right yeah so that that's that's profound by saying putting that in that league uh we're in the encore here now uh ed is saying He's going easy on the wine, but it's still plenty left, and uh, gives a little <laughs> nod to, yep. to 
there's plenty left. Uh, it gives a little nod to Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor, who uh, would play on the Saturday date, I believe. Uh, I believe this is Friday that the show is on. And, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then he goes off a little bit and he says, a company that would remain nameless, but I'll say their initials, BP. <laughs> a funny, funny line. One of the best lines of the night. And he kind of goes off on, you know, their advertising, uh, advertisement campaign, putting money into uh, just apologizing and saying everything was fine when it very obviously wasn't. And, uh, you know, kind of goes into, you know, ways that uh, the community has been affected and ways that, you know, you can help chloe dancer crown of thorns um i I hate to bring this up but chloe was a little uh, was a little bit off on this he him and boom were not quite on the same page uh at first channeling your uh channeling no i'm 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 not because i i've had i've had my own (laughs) issues with the music before and i will say it when i have to say it and this one has to be said and you'll notice that matt had a little like a little hi-hat beat going and matt had to stop uh to get boom and eddie on track with each other because they they were completely off I, I agree to an extent, um, and I'm not going to be so you know deluded as to suggest that it was intentional, but there's something in the dissonance of that recording, and I've gone back to it a couple times, like I said, uh, it adds to the appeal. I don't know why. There's a, there's a, that initial almost clunkiness is kind of, it feels to me like kind of like an old pickup kind of getting into gear before it hits like <laughs> its stride and... Um, you know, not to besmirch the song by any means. It's there's a there's a mysticism to the song that um, almost gets humanized a little bit at that beginning part. Chloe don't know better. Chloe's just like me, only beautiful. Don't tell her. A couple of years different. Those lessons are never talking about with matt and the hi-hat and everything but um for i don't know for some reason it contributes to it because it's not as is perfectly polished uh you know and it, it grows and becomes this monster as it does you know and the, the chorus is um immortal but uh yeah i kind of it's funny how that that took away from it for you because i was like yeah that, it, it well, spiced it up for it, me a little but you know what? Now you're you're sort of selling me. I'm kind of I'm kind of back in because I, <laughs> I I wasn't. I was more like, hey, this doesn't sound right. Instead of like, oh, they 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 figured it out and it's sort of you know it, it just kind of um, 
it took a little turn for them, like you said, the pickup truck, and now it's kind of, okay, the engine's on, and, and it's a bit of a smooth ride. It did smoothen itself out, and it it was kind of... You know, now now thinking about it, it was an interesting transition into how it ended ended up smooth. So like that that hey, you you brought in a unique take to it, and <laughs> I, I'm buying in on it now. So yeah, you know, see Eddie didn't it, fuck up the lyrics. It wasn't something that was like an obvious like oh god, you know, moment. And we and we talked about it too. We talked about it a lot of the MSG episode where they they have a tendency to bring out Crown of Thorns in places where. Andy would have like liked to play or where they kind of like feel his spirit. I think new Orleans, new Orleans is a town that, that Andy would have loved to have played. So I figured that's one reason that it, it it came up in this show. Yeah. uh, Didn't they play it for the first time in Vegas at their, uh, that was the anniversary show. Anniversary show. Right. I was there. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, that's crazy. That's awesome. I never thought of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. I'd say that's a pretty sound theory. It has this, like such an important place in this band's history and you know just uh that that shot in pj20 of where you know essentially the narration behind it is when ed mentions to stone that he wants to play a mother love bone song and you can see stone's face like light up i don't know if that was like the moment where ed mentioned something to him but or they just found the right frame to use but uh, it, it was kind of, it's, that's the kind of moment, uh, that makes this, this very special. And again, uh, another really good version of crown of thorns that you, you just can't in 2013, it becomes more commonplace, but you can't say enough about what crown of thorns means to, to, to this band and, and this, this legacy of, uh, Seattle music. Totally agree. Totally agree. After that, get back on the horse a little bit, Evolution and Go, which is a great combo, digging back into the set. Um, it it would have been a little bit more seamless, but I think Ed was having a little bit of an acid trip uh, because, as <laughs> as you mentioned before, we got some friends in the audience here. There's, uh, yeah. there's a, white, a white rabbit and a unicorn, and Ed mentions, he's like, you know, it's kind of like when you read on that Sonic Youth record about um, being sexually aroused around stuffed animals, and then he he, <laughs> he, he says to to the mascots, he he, he says, you know, uh, my hotel, I'm at the the whatever the Room whatever in yeah. the Ramada, yeah, and and he's like, you find find me later. Uh, and and that'll come back into play uh once at the at the end of the set which we're almost at here but again really uh you need these songs in a festival set especially going in before black which is another fantastic version of black i got you notice too he during uh during go he went back to the interpreter and tried tried to get him get her to do the uh flip the bird again <laughs> and, and do, throw a couple extra extra fucks in there <laughs> Uh, for as good as he is, for as good of a human being that we we've we've talked about him being throughout the, this this show, um, he's a bit of a dick too. So yeah, he's playful you know. about it though. He's not. Yeah, yeah, he's not kicking people out for smoking weed. That kind of a dick. No. I mean, that's a that's no. a straight up asshole. Only if they're overdosing. <laughs> right. If you can't hold it, you got to go. Black here. Uh, we double up on the do uh, do 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 do's. Um, 
you know, another like, powerful called? mic performance. What's that? No, I was fucking with you. This, oh, <laughs> I didn't even hear what you said. I said, is that what they're officially called? The do 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 I what else would you call? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Just messing. There, they are do 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 do. I kind of like how they tie Ed ties in the band introductions into this. They kind of you know they they kind of keep that pace going. The the crowd keeps singing uh, the do 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 do's and. Um, uh, you know he he he's going through everybody and introducing them, which which would usually usually be like an encore two type of thing, and that's sort of I guess that territory where we are in this set. Uh, if you're comparing th- this festival to a regular arena show, uh, but it was um, it was really a nice thank you that Ed. Uh, kind of gave to the crowd for just being a part of this night, and I think the the crowd, um, the band was really genuine in uh, their their response back to the band. That it was obviously very special to Steve. So you know, again, all coming full 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 circle here. So uh, uh, another terrific version of the song that I, I really got no no complaints, but no uh, no nothing absolutely. Uh, uh, sh- Killing, killing me here on black, John. Did, did you're you're the black aficionado here? What's well again? It's it it's the McCready show. Yeah. Like he he takes over. I love it when he goes when he goes up to the amp and gets a little bit of the feedback, and you know he's really feeling it. And you know that that's the part of the song that this makes it special yeah. for me. Yeah, that's and I mean you get it every single time, but every single time it's going to mean something new uh, or something different or something more and obviously we've we've mentioned steve's name thousands of times and that's that's what it's all for on this one and uh your festival show ends with bread and butter alive rocking in the free world yellow lead better um but it, it's a really fun ending and it feels like a a huge party at the end here you have you know the ed's passing out the tambourines during a live um mike mike swatting the swinging lights with his guitar uh at one point i think it was a live that mike and ed are both running around the floor uh i, I did think it was funny to watch these security guards chasing them <laughs> uh, through the crowd that that was that was well, ed was riding one of the lights at one point i've got a picture of him having oh, yeah. jumped on it was oh yeah around on it yeah, and it that, was during that, that time. Um, I don't. I think it was during Rocking in the Free World where um, you know Ed was kind of hopping on and off these things, and everybody's swinging them all around. And like you said, it was like it felt like a party, and they were dancing with the furries on stage and all yeah. of that. Um, I at one point Ed turned to the crowd right in front of me and looked what seemed to be directly at me, and uh, just Uh-oh. had this shit-eating, accomplished grin on his face. That, um, you know, again, I had my camera with me because I was there. I was going to go into the photo pit. Like I said, I was like three or four rows back in the actual crowd, though. And um, I got this shot of him just looking dead on into the camera, shit-eating grin on his face, just looking accomplished and sweaty and happy. And I remember I screamed the moment I, like, snapped the shot because I knew that was the one. And uh, I took, like, three or four after that where, like, he just makes a weird face, like, sets his jaw to the side and has, like, a goofy look. But, um that's the one that uh, that I'll be sending you guys talking about in terms of my, my best Pearl Jam shot or, or better shot awesome. at least. Because, uh, you know, you don't get too many of those, like, big grinning eddies, you know, especially when he's kind of feeling goofy. Right. 
and this is he's passing around the wine bottle too so uh, for he's, sure he's yeah. had more than enough it's new <laughs> right, orleans right. and uh you know who knows who knows if he's getting arrested again that uh, that night uh, <laughs> right this stage is is just batshit insane right now um the interpreter is back during Ledbetter and gets uh spotted light spotlighted on again um i don't think he was trying to say fuck this time but i could be wrong <laughs> i don't um, think so not knowing what those lyrics are half the time who the hell knows she probably was just like i, I give up you 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 take it from here <laughs> there's a there's you a box them. and a bag just go with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> you give them the finger this time um 25 song finish no encore too but in this rare case i don't think the set needed it it really it finished up nicely and it finished up appropriately because Back on stage is Steve Gleason, and uh, Mike is playing right in front of him, and it's almost like he was the last, that that was his only audience at that moment when he's finishing the show, yes. doing the last part of Ledbetter. person that he's performing to is steve and and he goes right in he gives him a big hug and uh again you can see that that smile on, on steve's face that something you know one of the best moments of his life has just occurred yeah that was really profound um to be there and to see to understand the context a little bit better you know and and to um watch that and see the attention that he was given you know at the end there and i think you nailed it um it seemed like he he was playing to an audience of one and he sounded, you know, he was throwing Stevie Ray Vaughan shit in there. It sounded very kind of Stevie Little Wing, you know, element. Yeah. And it was, it was fire. It was so great. And there was that, you know, poignant, cathartic sort of conclusive energy to it. You know, the the end of the party once, you know, New Year's Eve is coming to an end kind of thing. Um, but we got all, all we needed to. We were satiated, you know. Um, and for a festival show, holy shit. Like it, it's still just such a surprise that uh, it came off like that even for New Orleans, even for the, the magic of that, you know, place and experience. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I was, I was very, you know, knowing all of the details that went on with, with Steve picking the set and, um, you know, seeing a festival set from afar, you think like, okay, well, inside job is a little rare and, and present tense is, you know, getting two no code songs is, is a little different, but like, yeah, it, it was, you know, in my, in my critical spot, looking at it from afar, I'm like, okay, this is a little chalk. Uh, but the night is not that. That's why 
you know, that's why we pick special shows to do. And this is one of them. And this is kind of defi- defines that, that this was less about, you know, the rarities and the set list and, and how different it was from the last night. It was, it was about the emotion that was poured into it and, um, about the, how the crowd responded and, uh, you were there. It was, I couldn't imagine, um, what it would have been like to, to be sitting there, you know, while Steve is, is on stage at the end, but man, um, that's probably right in front of you too, right? Yeah, that was right in front of me. And it was, it was a tearful experience, you know, if you're tuned into it and there's, you can't, you can't tell somebody else how to experience a concert, you know, and, um, when the people all around you are jumping up and down and all excited and happy and like, you're feeling that too, but there's also this added element of poignance of like, there's a deeper meaning here. There's something, uh, something really profoundly special happening for that person, uh, for Steve and to see, um, to see the impact that it had and to understand it, you know, through the full scope. I mean, it's a, it's an emotional time. Um, even to think back on, it. I've got goosebumps in my arms right now looking at it. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, it's going to be very difficult to do, uh, but let's pick your top three favorite moments of the show. Uh, Johnny, <clears throat> you can go first. Oh man. Well, top three favorite moments of the show. Uh, I had gone with, songs but i think moments um moments songs it, it's either man. either or yeah yeah <laughs> i think uh it, you know there's there's something about the, the the furries moment was certainly uh wild it was one of my favorites just because it was so unique and because ed was so playful about it um but if i could go back you know to any experiences that's not what i would pick i would have to say ruby mirror um to be there for that song and to uh, to be there for present tense, the way that that was presented, um, and the the like I said, the power of the song, the way that Eddie was when he was he was singing, especially in the chorus, uh, those two really stand out for me. And again, it goes back for me to uh, Chloe Dancer and Crown of Thorns, um, despite the very clear fuck up in the beginning. Uh, <laughs> well. <laughs> It's a good thing John was the co-host and not somebody else on this one, or else we would have never heard <laughs> right. the end of it. Yeah, um, yeah, those are those are the three highlights for me. I mean, getting the getting the photo, and I remember that with crystal clarity. I always will. But uh, the experiences themselves of the, of the songs; those are my three. John, that's great. Um, we have two John F's on the show, by the way. I don't know. <laughs> it makes it for kind of confusing. Um, my number three, I'm gonna say, sirens. Uh, having that be the the intro song, setting the tone for the whole night. Having having the Steve Gleason intro just made it super special from the from the get go. Um, and I thought that really elevated the band throughout the whole night. Um, my number two, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with the other John F and say rearview mirror. Uh, fantastic performance. You don't you, you don't get a lot of Ed ad-libbing at the end, so I thought that was really cool how he kind of explained it and got the crowd on his side and uh, took him on the on the ride there. Yeah. Um, my number one, um, I didn't mention this when we talked about the song, but this was so cool. Like I mentioned, there's the webcast uh, version on YouTube, and they have like a little cam on each of the the band members like there's like a, a mic cam and like probably on the pedal board like where it's right up close you know not not a fisheye but like 
almost to that. You get like kind of an up close, intimate camera. And right after a live, it cuts to Ed's camera and he kind of collapses. Yes. On the stage, right? Yeah. And so he, so you see kind of off in the background, like Stone start the Rocket and the Free World riff. And Eddie kind of gets this look like, like, yeah, like, here we go. And he, like, raises his arm up and starts snapping his fingers. <laughs> and he kind of starts dancing a little bit. Yeah. And it was just one of those things where you're like, this guy has done this almost a thousand times. And he's still in it for the music. And he's in it for the love. And he's in it. You know, They, they could easily phone this phone this kind of thing in. Alive, Rockin' the Free World, whatever. It's bread and butter. In that moment, like, it, it made me love this band even more like just that moment where you know he he's he just loves the music and he's in it for the right reasons and he was feeling it in that moment so that's my number one like if go back and watch it like watch the youtube show it's it's unbelievable every song is great i loved i loved going back and watching the show and listening to it um but that that is my number one moment just to see that look on his face and like just knowing that like he's still in it for the music and the love yeah yeah uh, very well said wow yeah fantastic um i have a uh a four i have a fourth that i didn't uh, an honorable mention uh i didn't mention inside job in my top three when i wrote it down so i'm gonna you know for the sanctity of the top three i will keep them intact and say that inside job is an honorable mention uh due to its meaning to steve gleason and uh what it would become three years later in in wrigley and how much uh, how how much meaning that that version had uh but number three to me and i think we all kind of were on the same page with uh with things here number three to me was um present tense and how just how it just it kicked into an extra gear and you felt the passion from it you felt ed was was trying to get to another level and he was feeling something on stage and when he said that uh in that part like you could just feel the whole band feeling his vibe it it, it was something really special in that uh number two sirens because Sirens has only been opened with twice. Wow. So this is one of two times. You know, the song has been played close to 70 times. So it, it's, you know, probably most of since Lightning Bolt came out, probably, I would say, what, there's been a, a little over 100 shows. So 70-ish percent uh, of, of the time. Um, but this really... This was the kickoff to the night. This to- this told everybody this was what kind of night it was going to be. It wasn't going to be a Pearl Jam show that was going to. It, it was going to make you. It was going to make you emotional a little bit. It wasn't going to knock your socks off. It wasn't going to uh, uh, be a lot of sing-alongs. It, it, it was going to be a little bit different. And uh, I really appreciated the whole the melody with everybody singing in. Uh, all five of them singing in at the end there was fantastic. And uh, number one, you you guys both said it, Rearview Mirror was just fantastic in this one. Uh, you know, Ed calling out all the assholes and say, run away from all the assholes. And, you know, I feel like this this song has, has some extra deep-seated meaning to him, and uh, sometimes he can kick in and, and kind of reignite that passion in the, in the same way that he does a lot with Alive, 
uh, sometimes where he, he hears the lyrics and he is back into where he was when he was writing the song and it kind of felt like he was channeling a little bit of that at that point. So those are those are my top three there. Now, uh, since we said all that, let's rate the show. What do you got? Out of ten. All right, I would give it a man, a solid nine. I'm in on that. I that's uh John. I'm I'm that's a that's a little low for me. I'm gonna say nine and a half. This show's fucking wow. amazing. Wow. Um, I, this is this is classic. Pearl Jam, like as far as I'm concerned, like I love the set list. Nothing bad to say about it. Every like I was going through the first time I listened to it, making notes like great, great songs, great performance is great. Love it, love it, love it. Um, I th- I thought it was amazing. Nine and a half. I feel horrible now. Um, <laughs> oh shit! Because uh, I'm I'm not extreme lower, but I'm a little lower. I'm I'm you know the next number down, but. Um, for me, you know, it had the emotional feeling, but I don't, I think it was one of those things where if I was there, I would have felt a stronger connection to it that, and it's, it's not like I don't have that strong connection by listening to the bootleg, but I feel like there needs to be some in between where, uh, you know, I'll give shows that I've been to at times a nine or a nine and a half where if I wouldn't have been to that show, it would have been an eight. And this is, that's where I stand right now where this was really good and a really fun listen and emotional listen. Uh, this was, um, I think for people that were there and, uh, for people that experienced it, I I think it's an absolute nine or 10 for them, but, um, listening to it back on the bootleg, I think it's, it's a really, it's a really good, Eight. It's like a high eight. I, does that make sense? A we'll, high eight. We'll, we'll, we'll get back together next week, and I'll give you a chance. Go, go watch it again. When we come back next week, I'll give you a chance to. Uh, I got to Buffalo to listen to. I can accept the uh, the asterisk on that. I mean, it, being at the show is a different experience. You know, as far as as far as I'm concerned, a perfect ten show is something like, you know, Fox Theater '94. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, there's new songs, there's crazy tags that are, you know, extended. There's, you know, all kinds of shit that's uh, off the wall bonkers. And this was maybe a little more circumstantial. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I yeah, can, if I this can. had been in Atlanta, it would have been a 10. <laughs> oh, <fuck laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, before we part ways with you, uh, anything else you want to promote? Uh, again, uh, Johnny Firecloud with the Anna Quiet podcast. Uh, you have to go and listen to the first part of his life as his Pearl Jam fandom. What exactly do you call it so people can see it? Uh, what What is the actual episode name for that? Uh, it's episode, Just life as a Pearl Jam fan? Yeah, it's episode 47, and um, I think it's called The Fan Life. Yeah, Pearl Jam Fan Life ninety one to two thousand three, and you've you've mentioned you've done a couple episodes about Pearl Jam, so yeah, definitely people um, go back and listen to those too. After my uh, after my experience in uh, Seattle, having seen them uh, last August, it was August tenth. Um, I recorded a, kind of a review of that. That's episode thirty six. Uh, it was in the morning when I woke up, and I was still just under the the spell of that, and it really kind of hit home and i did earlier on i did another one that was uh can't really place it right now um 
but it's just basically what the reason why I feel such a deep connection to music and the passion that I have for um, for that translated into a career into music journalism, you know, over the years. And uh, there's quite a bit to dig into if you're a rock fan, if you're a Pearl Jam fan, uh, both on Antiquiet.com and the podcast. But uh, yeah, by by Thanksgiving or so, I'm going to have part two up, and that'll be the uh, the adult years, I guess you could say. <laughs> Dad Johnny. <laughs> Dad Johnny, yeah. Great way to sell it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great show. And again, we highly recommend going and checking it out. Uh, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show, man. Thank you, yeah, man. Johnny. I really appreciate it. It was, it was an honor and uh, had a blast, you guys. Thanks. You guys yeah, we'll have to have you back too. at some point. Would love to. Absolutely. After you got, what, 59 more shows that, that, that we got to do? That <laughs> all. Thanks again. And uh, remember... Just uh, hit up the Anti Quiet podcast and uh, the part one of Fan Life as a Pearl Jam fan is out. Part two, we will tell you the minute that it's out because it's going to be really fucking good. Yeah. And you're going to want to listen to it and you're all going to be able to relate to it. So once again, Johnny, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for the stories. Uh, thank you for everything that uh, that we talked about today. We had a blast. Awesome. You guys are amazing. Thanks again so much. And uh, take care. Good luck to you. You got it. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Till next time. All right, John. So uh, it's October, and uh, October is a, a really good Pearl Jam month. And like we just talked about, the, this show that we talked about was November 1st, so it's essentially October. But uh, the Lightning Bolt Tour in 2013 uh, is really significant, and you love when I mention this. I, I, just wanted, I just wanted to ask you, <sighs> do you know how many times I saw Pearl Jam on the Lightning Bolt Tour? I don't know, Randy. How many times did you see Pearl Jam on the Lightning Bolt Tour? Four in two weeks, John, and it was amazing. <sighs> and I'm going to talk about it next week. Well, we've already talked about the the one that I went to, so I guess it's only fair. <laughs> well, technically, we talked about the one I went to last year around this time, <laughs> too. So that's uh, the Brooklyn show. Uh, but yes, uh, next week, next episode, a little preview for you guys. I, I think I mentioned it at some point before. Buffalo. Buffalo. Hey, we're staying in 2013. We're going to hang out there for a little while. Yeah, we're going to hang the, out. The good old days. Yeah, we're... <laughs> The good old days. Oh yeah, back when they were touring, right? Right. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna the whole month of October. We're not like drifting too far into deep territory, but November we're going to uh, we're gonna drift a little bit. We're we're gonna make sure we get a '90s and go a little bit deeper. Would you say November. we'd be we might be drifting? Drifting, drifting away, drifting away. Okay. Okay. That that I know. That's enough. That's enough. Well, we said we were going to sing. We did. Yeah. That that wasn't right. singing though. That was something else. That was that was nine and nine nine. There's there's <laughs> do, do 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 doing, and there's nine and nine and nine nine, <laughs> and we did both on this show. So, uh, you know, a plus. We've got a lot of cool things planned for later this year, and then going into next year. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good uh, gonna be be great going forward I mean, i'm really you excited you guys are gonna enjoy it if you've already been enjoying it you're gonna enjoy it more if you haven't been enjoying it stop listening what are you doing with yourselves this has already been a long enough episode as it is go uh, listen but, to the antiquiet podcast it's so yes good. please 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 do that and next week we'll be back with uh buffalo 2013 which uh 
which means more to me than it does the average fan. And that's kind of like, you know, what we were saying before about, uh, you know, how I would give something a, a nine rating if I was there. Uh, that That's kind of I, like this next I show. haven't listened to it yet, but I'm going to tell you I'm going to give it a four. Oh, fuck off. You, ne- you would <laughs> never give a Pearl Jam show a four. What are you, Matt? Hey, I, I haven't heard Buffalo. We'll see. Buffalo... Buffalo is something good. Buffalo is good. It's beginning of that tour. Uh, obviously, you know, Pittsburgh was the first one uh, from, you know, starting off. And, and Buffalo was the second one. We'll talk about, you know, how I decided, you know, basically two days before that I was going to this and driving six hours up to Buffalo. We'll, we'll talk about all that shit. So uh, get but ready no, yeah, for I mean, all that. You know, going well, back to the ones that we've done, um, in kind of hindsight, this 2013 tour was actually kind of great. I think it was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I can't find a better sequence of four shows that I've been to, John. You fucking <laughs> I asshole. I had to. You set it up. You set it up, but I knocked it down like a ton. No, of but we, we we haven't done Charlottesville. That was great. Yeah. Um, you know, there's 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 a lot to get into. All right, John. Say goodnight. Say your stuff. What's your what's your sign off? Say it. Hello, Matt. Calm down, Matt. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. I miss you always. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in. And go listen to Anna Quiet right now. Uh, Johnny Firecloud does some fucking awesome stuff. And part two, when it comes out, you, you will be the first to know because we'll be the first to tell you. So, again, go listen to that. And uh, we will see you next week with Buffalo 2013. Bye. Everyone who has a heartbeat will face adversity, but when you experience those moments, like the message in this song, please remember this. How we choose to feel is how we are, and personally, I feel fucking awesome.